My name is Valerie Payne, and this is the podcast Finding Unity. I started this podcast because of a personal experience that helped me to see the need for unity in our society right now. I hope that you will come along with me on my quest to find unity as we seek understanding, connection, healing, and love. Hi, this is Valerie Payne, and you're listening to Finding Unity. And today I have Reverend Greg Johnson on with me, and we're going to be talking a little bit about unity. So first of all, Greg, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here with you, Valerie. Um, do you mind just talking a little bit about your upbringing, where you're originally from? I've I've noticed I have a bias in this podcast. I tend to like people from California, apparently. Well, you're going to like me, because I'm <laughs> yeah. from California. I was, I I was born in Burbank, California uh, in 1966, and I always think uh, it's kind of cool Walt Disney, who's kind of a mentor hero of mine, he passed away in the same hospital, St. Joe's Hospital, in uh, Burbank, California, the same year I was born. So, wow, you know, kind of a little interesting thing there. But uh, yeah, so I'm from uh, Southern California. Uh, kind of an interesting part of my own story is that my mom was a single mother of four when, in 1970, she embraced, uh, out of really not being religious at all. Um, embraced uh, the Mormon faith, and she became a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at that time. My two older brothers, my sister, were all baptized on Christmas Eve, 1970. I, being four years old, had to wait another four years, of course, till the age of eight. Uh, Then my mom, at that time, remarried, so we left Southern California. We moved to Colorado for six years. Their marriage did not survive. It it concluded in about six years, and uh, at that time, my sister had married, and was uh, her husband was attending BYU. My two older brothers were kind of graduating or graduated and not actively uh, involved in any faith background. But right before we moved from from Colorado to Southern California and before the divorce, um, I actually went to a Christian evangelical camp in Colorado Springs and had a kind of life-changing experience. And uh, um, I ended up coming back and processing that with my local uh, LDS clergy and bishop and um, eventually decided uh, in 1981 at the age of uh, I guess it was 14 and a half that I that I was going to leave the LDS faith and just be a Christian and figure out what that meant um, because I had a lot of a lot of challenging people in my life telling me various things and I just wanted to know for myself so uh, but at that time I I became a Christian and from from kind of the perspective that I saw myself as just a follower of Christ, not a Mormon Christian, not a not a evangelical Christian, not, I was just a follower of Jesus. That's all I wanted to be. And I began to read the Bible. Eventually I, I my mom and I moved to Southern California, back to the Whittier area, so I was there and went to a Christian high school for 4 years or 3 and a half years. And then I went off to Santa Barbara, California for college. Uh, I had a great experience there at Westmont College and then uh, went off to grad school in uh, Denver Seminary in Denver, Colorado. And I came to Utah in 1992 as a pastor. I really wanted to be a person who could be a bridge builder between the culture that I knew as a young child, my Mormon faith culture, and uh, the evangelical culture that I was a part of as I was growing up and became a pastor of. And uh, I knew that there was a lot of quote-unquote anti-Mormonism from the evangelical side, but there was also a lot of, uh, I guess you could call it anti-evangelicalism. I mean, both both faith communities had their proponents of kind of debating and arguing and lots of conflict. And I just felt, wouldn't it be great if I could be a, a pastor in Utah that helped build bridges? Um, one of the unique things about 
my work, and it involves people like Robert Millett from BYU, now retired professor, is that we don't believe in the concept of of unity being pursued at the demise of your beliefs, your values, your theology. We believe in something called convicted civility, and that people need to be able to learn how to be friends and walk together and do life together while they might even hold uh, views and tension with one another. So uh, I don't say that evangelicals and Latter-day Saints need to trade theology uh, to become friends. I say no, evangelicals need to deeply believe and be persuaded, convicted uh, of their of their of their belief systems as well as Latter-day Saints. But the but the part that brings that together is the civility part. And so that's a big part of our message is that building bridges is not going liberal, going soft, uh, walking away from your beliefs or values. No, a really healthy unity, a really healthy bridge-building society allows for the differences, honors the differences, respects the differences, and loves the other person in spite of those differences on a whole host of things like theology, cultural issues, social issues. Hey, there are things that divide us all over in this country, but we're a better people if we can figure out how to build a bridge as opposed to a wall. I love that. And I feel like that kind of hits on this idea of like being able to agree to disagree, but love each other still. Exactly. Fundamental. Yeah. That's a yeah. value of ours. And I know it's a value of yours. Yeah. That, that if we don't learn how to do that, then what we really have is a kind of a false peace and a false unity. Because the moment that somebody, and somebody will always step into the group and say, well, that's not what I believe. I think differently than that. And the moment that we have an altering opinion, we have to be able to know how to deal with that. Can we respect a person who thinks differently than us um, and love them and honor them, but at the same time try to persuade them? Oh, I think your position's wrong, or I think you should consider this, or would you, how would you handle this question? You know, so we can certainly do that. And that principle of what we call convicted civility allows us to honor a very simple verse in the in the New Testament. It's 1 Peter 3.15, and it simply says that every Christian, every follower of Christ should be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within them, but always with gentleness and respect. So whereas maybe sometimes religious people are kind of seen as obnoxious or forward or pushy, uh, I don't think that should be our our uh, our presentation at all. I think we should be known as gentle and respectful people who, yes, believe what we believe and we're we're faithful to that. We're sincere about it. Uh, we're you know that people are impressed. Hey, they they say what they believe and they they live that way. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I think that our values are honoring to other people. But when we when we're known more for being pushy and uh, demonstrative and insisting and judgmental, uh, people do not like that. And mm-hmm. I understand why. So gentleness and respect is the way we approach one another. I think we. Should should, at least. I love that. One of my best friends is evangelical, and I feel like the best conversations we have are ones where we know we're going to disagree on things, but it's more of just curiosity, yes. right? Like on what the other person believes and being able to kind of just sit with that and be like, I have a different opinion, but that's okay, you know? Yeah. Well, at the end, as Bob Millett and I have said many, many times to many, many different audiences, we actually did 65 to the number. I don't know why we just landed on 65, but we did 65 presentations from 2001 to 2012, and we did them all over the country in 13 different states and two different foreign countries, where we modeled this idea of being a person of conviction and civility. And we said over and over to our audiences, you know what, we're richer people for being exposed to one another's life, to traveling together, to talking with one another, to having such great experiences. 
it's harder work because it's easier to insult somebody or dismiss somebody and have a 15, 20 minute argument and walk away and go, well, I, I showed them, I put them in their place, you know, and you kind of pat yourself on the back. But the hard work of maintaining that relationship, even you go, oh man, I don't know why they see it that way or why don't they understand that's not the right position. But to maintain your love for them, maintain your respect, that's harder, but you're the richer for it. Mm-hmm. You become a more expanded person. Yeah. And even if you don't, I mean, I mean, if my if my value system, if my beliefs don't stand up to some interrogative questioning, some some you know interaction, then maybe my faith and my values aren't that strong to begin with. Mm-hmm. But if they're if they're tested by honest conversations and honest questions, and I you know I mean that either leads to growth where I maybe possibly consider changing my own views and and thinking something differently. I've gone through those kinds of experiences. Or you become more solidified and say, no, I feel stronger about my position as a result of this interaction. Yeah, I completely agree. I love that. Um, You know, you talked a little bit about the the mission you felt to come to Utah and start this, be able to bridge, you know, these religions. Um, Is there anything else just kind of that inspired you with the Standing Together ministry specifically and and how you started that? Yeah, no, um, you know, having come as a pastor, uh, I I went to uh, serve at the Washington Heights Church up in the Ogden area. I was there for over three years, and then I was invited to lead a congregation up in the Ogden Valley, so we started a brand new church up in that area, and eventually I came down to Orem and was, again, working with a church, uh, which is now called Centerpoint Church um, in Orem, Utah. But after those three church experiences of being on a pastoral staff, both in a senior role and an associate role, I, I, didn't, un, I didn't understand that through my own background in the LDS faith that many of my LDS friends felt that the, the division or the um, diversity of the evangelical Christian world, Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Assemblies of God, Presbyterian, that that, that was seen as confusing and uh, divisive and you know, all these different religions say they're Christian and yet they're all so different, da 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 And I knew that there was a, there is great diversity to be sure to, to recognize and diversity in theology, but on fundamental issues, I knew that there was great unity. And I just felt at some point, we need to bridge the gap of division that is built on our presumptions of disunity. And so that if our Latter-day Saint friends could understand that we stand together, as evangelicals and we're not against one another, they would be more willing to understand or interact with us. And so that bridge would allow, if we could build a bridge to one another and unify ourselves and then build a bridge to something that is you know, historically outside of the category of Protestant Christian, uh, you know, labels are important, but they're very difficult because with a label, I can just dismiss you. I can say, well, you're not a Christian, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then, you know, I don't, how, how, how have we really examined that point? You know, we haven't. We, we, we just got dismissed. Or, you know, he's a right-winger, you know, mm-hmm. or he's a lefty, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we just dismiss people that way. And yeah. we don't have to deal with their arguments. We, don't, we just can dismiss them. So I think in, in our world as evangelicals, we felt we need to do the hard work of standing together in unity because there's a prayer that Jesus prays in John chapter 17. He says, Father, praying to his heavenly Father, and to, to him as, as Jesus praying on earth, you know, to, to God, he being God himself, um, said, make make them one, the, his followers, like we're one, you know, so in our unity, help them to be unified because through that unity, the world will believe. So I think that when we are divided as, um, as Christians, when we're divided as Bible-believing Christians, then we give the world a reason not to believe. Mm-hmm. So the, the passion for unity on the evangelical Christian side 
really kind of was the foundation. And then the fruit of that foundation would be that we could build bridges to other communities that are outside of our faith tradition and distinct from our faith tradition. Um, so the question is, you know, are Mormons Christians? Uh, are, are evangelicals apostates? You know, those kind of terminology. Well, we say, okay, we, we know those terms exist, but let's talk about them rather than just using them and walking away. So if I'm an apostate, what does that really mean? And if, if, if I say that Mormonism is not one of the traditional Christian faiths, what does that mean? And how do we say that in a way that's not insulting, but is informed? And so we've been on that journey for over 25 years, um, and a lot of great fruit has come from it. What do you feel like has been the most, I guess, beneficial things you've seen from that? If you maybe have a story or two yeah. you want to share. Well, for us, um, there is kind of a, in all things, I think there's a, a kind of a groundswell that needs to establish itself, a kind of a grassroots effort. People want, people want to, you'll need people to want to see unity emerge, you know? So you cast that vision, you share that value, you talk it up and people get excited about it. But that that's hard to go much further than that when leadership is against it. So we felt that we needed to have a bottom-up strategy and a top-down strategy and somehow meeting in the middle, we could, we could make an impact. Um, so in, in my life, um, you know, I, I call this uh, divine guidance or uh, God's leadership in my life. But on April 11th, I was just telling you earlier, April 11th, I meet two very prominent Latter-day Saint leaders, Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve on the street um, in the afternoon. And in the earlier morning, I'm at BYU's Faculty Friday forum with, uh, with an evangelical scholar that I had in town, and I met the then uh, dean of the religion faculty, Robert Millett. And between Bob Millett and Jeffrey Holland, um, tremendous things have been accomplished. Uh, nationally known evangelical leaders have met with one another. I met with Latter-day Saint leaders. Um, we hosted the National Association of Evangelicals, which I'm, I, I serve on the board of that of that important evangelical institution. And we brought them here in 2011 where the governor, Governor Herbert, allowed us to use the governor's mansion to host a session where Jeffrey Holland spoke to about 80 some odd nationally known evangelical leaders in a first of its kind experience. Um, uh, reciprocally, President Hinckley and then later uh, leadership allowed me to host three meetings inside the latter, the LDS Tabernacle, the Mormon Tabernacle on Temple Square uh, with Ravi Zacharias and Nick Vujicic. And in those three sessions and in these interactions that have come from that, um, we've seen real, real breakdown of the old hostility, you know, that maybe you're not so bad after all. You know, mm -hmm. we've been fighting and we've been dismissing and you know how those evangelicals are. They're all into grace, you know, uh, but we're into good works, you know, or you know how those Mormons are. They just believe they can earn their way to heaven, you know. And so, you know, they believe that they can become like a god or, you know, they only they believe in three and one and one and three, this Trinity thing. It's crazy, you know. So as a result of those tensions and those initiations of relationship, other things have emerged. And so we've had an intellectual dialogue going on since May of 2000 between professors and religion scholars um, meeting once or twice a year. That is going to actually coming to an end now, but, but that's gone on for almost 20 years. Um, we have evangelical college students who come to BYU and institutes of religion here along the Wasatch Front, and we're hosted by professors like Jared Halverson and others from the institutes, where we allow evangelical college students 20 or 30 at a time to sit down with Latter-day Saint students 20 to 30, and have a three-hour dialogue session mm -hmm. where we say there are no questions that are off limits, but the questions you have to ask are, are to be based in 
a expression of kindness so that, uh, you know, you can say, do you guys really believe you can become gods, which is kind of a sarcastic, you know, kind of challenging kind of question, or can you help me understand what a Latter-day Saint believes is possible at, you know, in the next world? I mean, uh, what what does it mean to become like Heavenly Father? You know, can you explain that to me? Mm-hmm. So we can have those kind of questions and interactions with one another. And so we've been, we've seen literally hundreds and over hundreds of thousands of students dialoguing with one another for 17 years. We've had scholars dialoguing. We've had articles and books being written. We've had meetings. We've had personal meetings and public meetings. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I wonder ultimately, Valerie, I, uh, like where does this go? You know, is there some kind of big summit where, you know, we sign a document and there's a big truce? I don't, I don't, it's not apparent to me how that does uh, move forward ultimately. But sometimes you have to put these things in the hands of God and say, okay, we're just going to be peacemakers. We're going to pursue peace. We're going to pursue um, uh, acts of kindness and we're going to let the future kind of decide, you know, where it goes for itself. And so I think sometimes we can kind of almost be overwhelmed by the question of, well, what is this all about? Where is this coming from? What's our agenda? Well, maybe we need to put that aside and say, you know, you have an agenda, I have an agenda, let's set that aside and let's just see where this takes us. And I think uh, that has been the secret of our success so far. That's great. And yeah. I think about, you know, my my podcast is called Finding Unity, and that's because I, I haven't found it yet perfectly myself. <laughs> like, we're all in this process of exactly. trying to find it. And I find myself using polarizing language at times. And so I think um, I love what you're saying, though, because it's it's taking this step back almost where we're looking, we all believe in God. You know, it's like, what do yeah. we all believe in? And yeah. then finding, um, when I interviewed Jared Halverson, I think he said something like, I can't remember what it was, but there's this idea of having an awe or respect for people who have um, different beliefs. I can tell you what that term is. Oh, okay. Holy envy. Thank you. Yes. Or <laughs> maybe talk, it was someone else I interviewed, but yes, holy envy. We talk about holy yes. envy all the time because yes. a, a famous uh, theologian brought up that phrase. Yes, yeah. yes, holy envy, and I yeah. love that idea. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask you as well because, you know, you talked about how there can be this divisiveness at times. And when I actually was do- just doing some research and looked you up, I found some... some um, you know, an article that was saying, oh, this, this, you know, Reverend Greg Johnson, he, he's helping the, the Mormons. And I can actually kind of paraphrase um, a little bit, but it was says, you know, in prayer for, for the Mormon people and to offer a witness of, this is what you had said, I think, um, in prayer for the Mormon people and to offer a witness of the love and kindness of Jesus Christ to all that pass by. And um, they were upset by this and felt yeah. like it was somehow condoning yeah. our faith. Yeah. And so I'm just curious, um, yeah, what your thoughts are on that and well, kind of how to find unity in those kind of situations. That was that goes all the way back to 2004 in what we called, we had an event. We hosted an event called Mission Loving Kindness. It's a great story. It, I have a forthcoming book called The Bridge Book, and I tell the story. But basically, in 2003, General Conference, um, you know, just after the Winter Olympics, there was kind of a, a growing presence. There's always been street preachers out at General Conference and yelling and screaming and saying different things. But it really took a turn for the worse in 2003, October, when uh, a gentleman was uh, holding up LDS sacred uh, temple garments and, uh, fly, you know, flinging them around. And in fact, uh, it was reported that he was stomping on the ground, stomping them on the ground 
ground and blowing his nose into them and and uh, even wiping his backside just to mock these uh, garments that are sacred to the LDS people. And uh, a Polynesian man or two, I guess there was uh, two of them that they just couldn't take it anymore. So they, you know, attacked the guy. They wrestled these things from him and said, you know, these are sacred to us. And so, of course, the police come in and uh, because he was on uh, public space, you know, it's called free speech and the Constitution guarantees that. So the, the, the person that was protesting Mormonism was allowed to stay and the two LDS Polynesian guys were taken off to jail. I think it was just a short, you know, they didn't really go to jail, but they had to pay a fine maybe, I don't know. But that was all featured in the front page of the newspaper and it was just really sad, you know, that things just are devolving into that level of animosity and tension. And I came back to our network of pastors. We have a network of almost 100 evangelical churches and ministries along the Wasatch Front. And I said, you know, at what point do we have to stand up and say, that's not us. We're not here to offend you, to ridicule you, to mock you. Because if the people that are down there who say they're the Christians are all the LDS people ever see, then they think we're all them, you know. So we have, you know, we have to stand out. We have to speak up. We got to, we got to, you know, we got to come out uh, and be visible. So we decided that in April of 2000 and, uh, uh, 2004 that we would have a presence on and around General Conference on North Temple where we would invite evangelical Christians. And there's a great story behind this that I won't go into right now because it was almost canceled and then it was resurrected in the last few moments. But we actually had permits from Salt Lake City. So we occupied the space from the North Temple gate down to uh, the plaza, to you know the old Main Street, and then on the other side of the street of North Temple, that same area, and evangelical Christians occupied that um, that space with credentials from our organization, but representing different evangelical congregations. And all we did was express uh, words of kindness and prayed for the peace of our city. And people were wondering who we were and why we were doing this. And at first, they thought we were some kind of anti-Mormon group. And turns out that it became a really um, a very amazing moment for our city and uh and great things came from it letters and interactions with the first presidency and and whatnot uh, we did it again in uh, october of 2004. i'm absolutely convinced that ravi zacharias's uh, first address in the tabernacle uh, really kind of probably is 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 made possible because president hinckley appreciates the gesture of kindness that we offered and the peace that we brought to their general conference experience although there were Street protesters were on the other side of the block, you know, but uh, some people took to the internet and and denounced standing together and and myself as a, kind of a, a candy coated that was one of the phrases they used candy coated Christian, um, a charlatan, a fake, a phony. I, I was actually a paid uh, uh, you know person by the LDS Church because you know I was uh, I was kind of only pretending to be an evangelical, and you know you try to interact with those folks for a while and then you realize there's just there's not a lot of reasonability there. And so because the internet's there and it, whatever is posted stays there unless they take it down, um, stuff that is back from 04 and 05, 67, um, frankly, I think we've earned our uh, our spot. Uh, we have the support of, of a vast percentage of evangelical churches here in Utah. Uh, and so we, we don't get that same kind of criticism as much. Um, we didn't in 2014, you know, so when Ravi came back 10 years later, but uh, there are people that just want to keep the, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that they want to keep the fight going, but that's what they know. That's what they're familiar with. Actually, I think that the voice of, of convicted civility and the, 
the communities that are engaged in dialogue versus debate, um, conversation versus contention. I think our voice has been growing over the last decade or so, and I think that more antagonistic voice has been uh, becoming less a part of the of the dialogue or the interaction. I think I think there's a growing sense that we can do this better. There's a better way than just arguing and yelling and denouncing one another. Um, and you know, I know it's again, it's hard work. I think sometimes those that really have a black and white view of of reality, they they don't they don't swim well in this middle zone of gray. But you know, like like the old adage goes, the the preacher will often preach in black and white because you know you you preach to the ideal or to the extreme. But oftentimes we live our life in the middle, in the gray middle. You know, the kind of leaning one way or the other and trying to trying to get closer to a, an ideal way of thinking. I think that people who are offended in 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 religious conversation or social issues, they have a tendency just to close up and go back to their own crowd and denounce the viciousness of the other person or the other side. And, and we just kind of validate one another and we, we kind of sing to the choir and, and we just kind of stay in our little camps. And that is totally uh, counterintuitive to the idea of, of being one nation under God, of being a community, of honoring our diversity. You know, we, we say tolerance is so important. Why are people so intolerant right now then? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, the left used to say, you know, the the right is so intolerant, you know, and now the right says the left is so intolerant, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, in the name of all this tolerance, we've we've become very intolerant, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that we have to learn these skills of building bridges, common ground, respect for others, love one another, um, uh, genuine friendship, um, and, and and again. You know, I go to my faith a lot on this. You know, Jesus says often, you know, love one another, serve one another, care for one another. And uh, I think that when we honor one another in that regard, the things that we want to talk about, that we want to share with one another about, you know, if I'm if I'm a pro-life person as I am and I want to share with somebody who might have a different view on that and be pro-choice or pro-abortion and I go, boy, you know, I'd love to talk with you about why I'm where I'm at and where you're at. You know, I may not be able to persuade them, but turning them into a monster and just denouncing them and, you know, that's not probably going to change anything. Mm-hmm. So while it's harder and, and it's not, you know, it's not, there's no guarantee that anything's going to change, I would I would contend that it's better to pursue that relationally, conversationally, with integrity and with respect, because ultimately we're going to... Um, I think we'll have a better chance of at least listening to one another, yeah. at least hearing from one another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are all issues like, you know, the traditional marriage view versus the gay marriage view or, uh, you know, a lot of issues on race right now. And, mm-hmm. and certainly what does racism look like? What is it? What is it not? Mm-hmm. How do you what's the verbiage we need to use? What is the politically correct, correct language that we have to use? We're all so confused and we're all so polarized. But common ground, I mean, when we think of ourselves as fellow human beings, that's the essential common ground. We're, yeah. we're all on this planet together. Mm-hmm. We might as well get along, you know. Um, and then, you know, we divide by nations. I, I think Jared Halverson has a great thing that, you know, when you zoom in on Google Earth, you see all of the differences, you know. you see. I think the, he talked about yeah. this on my episode. Yeah, yeah. But go ahead. But yeah. when, you, when you zoom back, you just see one planet. And you go, huh, well, if you think of us all living on the same planet, wouldn't it make sense that we would have a common... Um, we're in this together kind of approach to life. Well, we know that that's not the way it is. We come from different cultures. We come from different ethnicities. We come from different value systems, uh, urban, suburban, rural. I mean, we come from so many different places. 
we don't need to be afraid of that diversity. That's beautiful, you know, and ultimately is an expression of the creativity of this world, you know, from from all the landscapes that we have, all the weather and temperatures issues that we have. You know, it, it makes the world a better place to have that kind of diversity, but we have to manage it better than we do. We have to manage and respect it better than we do. Um, and, and, you know, throwing uh, bombs or Molotov cocktails or uh, you know, uh, fireworks into buildings to burn them down. That that stuff is not good for us right now, and we're we're seeing that right on our streets in Portland and Seattle and places around the country right now. We have to learn to how how to come down, you know, take a breath, come back, and actually have conversations with one another. So. I think you bring up a lot of good points, and this kind of leads to my next question a little bit, is I think the tricky thing for anyone of value, whether you're a religious person, whether you're not a religious person, but you have very strong values politically, is how do we find that balance between truth versus tolerance? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, it, it's actually a, a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses. He says that truth and love, we need to use truth and love. So to quote a, a, a great quote from Ravi Zacharias, he says, if your truth is not undergirded by love, your message becomes repulsive, and you as the bearer of that message are seen as obnoxious. So that if 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 I so hold on to the truth, or at the truth as I see it, that I just keep throwing dirt on you, then in the, in the process, I get dirty myself, and I lose ground. I lose credibility. I lose respectability. So on the flip side, we don't want to abandon truth. I mean, uh, I, as an individual person of faith, I do believe in truth, and I believe in something called absolute truth, that there really are values and belief systems that are true. You know, um, we all we all believe that, you know, there are truths in the universe. You know, gravity is a universal truth. You know, something will fall from up to down. Um, as we look at the question of is there a God or is there not a God? There either is or there isn't. There can't be a God and not a God at the same time. Um, we can't, you know, it can't be Christianity is right in its belief systems as well as something that's antithetical to Christianity, you know, as a religious system or belief system. So we, we, we do honor the fact that this diversity exists and we have to be able to respect the fact that at the end of the day, certain, you know, different people are going to believe they're right and they're going to believe the other people are wrong. So it's the way that we express that truth, not abandoned. You know, we 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 believe in truth. We believe in, in the conviction of truth. Um, you know, uh, I believe that Jesus Christ literally lived, died, and, and miraculously rose again. If somebody else does not believe that, I need to respect them and honor the fact that they believe differently. But, but all of their... Uh, entreating of me to abandon that belief, you know, would not would not uh, be something that I could do. I could not give that up just to make them happy with me. So mm-hmm. anybody that would assert that kind of control over another person is really manipulating the relationship as opposed to uh, honoring the diversity factor. There's a there's a great um, uh, kind of way of looking at that. Uh, we often refer to opinions as things that we hold. So you might like blue, and I might like red. There's nothing right or wrong about liking blue. Blue is better. Just kidding. <laughs> right. You know, vice versa. You know, I, I think we just accidentally walked into the BYU University of Utah thing. I was not trying to. I just was cho- choosing random colors. I was totally kidding. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. Um, so, so, but there's nothing objective about an opinion. It's just a preference. You like, you know, you or somebody else might like snow and mountains. Somebody else might like beach and sun, you know, and that's okay. We're, we're entitled. 
But but when it comes to uh, a conviction, I think that's something that rather holds us. So we hold opinions, but convictions hold us. And those belief systems, those core values about, you know, the nature of marriage, the nature of life, the nature of of creation, uh, the nature of God. Um, if if somebody cannot ultimately allow me to stand where I choose to believe, then then they're not they're not involved in in tolerant dialogue at that point. They're now involved in judgmental assertion and, and control. And I think we have a right to say that's inappropriate, that's wrong. Um, but we're going to do it lovingly. We're going to bear respect and you know gentle gentle rebuke and all that. But but at the end of the day, we know that this doesn't you know this philosophy. In order for it work for it to work, this bridge building philosophy to work, people have to obey the rules and and oblige one another's rights to believe certain things. So again, I think it's actually a, a sign of greater maturity and greater greater wholeness of humanity when someone can say, "Well, this guy believes this, and and I don't, but I can be kind to him." You know. So let let's take it. You know, it's interesting to to deal with debatable matters on that kind of stuff. But like today, I mean, I, I think it's uh, largely held in society that uh, white nationalism, uh, you know, racism, uh, that is, 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 a, is an evil in our society. But can I sit down with, now this is hard. This is the hard question of unity. Can I sit down with somebody who is uh, of that persuasion and try to engage them in a conversation to challenge their belief system, to engage them in thoughtful interaction, and to ask them why do they believe that kind of, you know, hatred, as I would understand it, um, uh, be a helpful way to uh, live your life, to 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 not tolerate people of other races or ethnicities. So I know that when when something is largely understood or embraced by society, we can quickly dismiss the alternative view. But I actually would take it to the degree that says even. Even in those very marginal views, the mature position to take is to sit down with somebody who believes that differently mm-hmm. and say, hey, I am coming at this completely differently. Um, I, I'm wanting to offer you a, you know, a, a, a gesture of, of peace and an honest conversation. If they will have it, then let's do that. You know? mm-hmm. But if it devolves into name calling and, and insults and derogatory kind of comments, at some point you, you, you make an effort to try to say, hey, this is not working. I'm going to ask that we kind of tone it down and bring it back to the conversation. Uh, but if they if they're not willing to do that, then I think it's appropriate to get up and say, "Hey, we you know we tried, but this didn't work." Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it, it really the test of of tolerance and the test of unity is how far you're willing to take that. And I think we should pretty much take it to any you know place. Now, you know, you can't you can't you know people who are mad and and just filled with hate and filled with guile that want to destroy everything in their path. Um, we we probably can't have that conversation. You know, there's there's limits to the ability of of uh, of standing together and limits to unity when when once when, when one part of that uh, balance or equation is so intent to be hostile. You know, you really can't you really can't uh, take this approach and and it be effective. You know, I think you can try, and I'm all for trying. But I think at the extreme levels, we have to recognize that I cannot yield my truth. And if that's what this conversation requires, then we're not going to be able to have this conversation. And I think you bring up a good point just between the difference. Like, I think tolerance is respecting that other people are in their own journey and where they're at with God. And that might be different from my journey and where I'm at. But the truth piece comes in as far as like 
when it's being imposed on me, like yes. I need to stand up for my own right. truth and yeah. where I'm at. Yep. And um, I do think it's interesting. I asked, um, Jan Saeed was on. I'm not sure if you're familiar with who she is, but um, she, I asked her this question. Yeah, how do you find unity when people are so different, you know? And she said just to try to take a step back and realize we're all breathing, yeah. you know, like find some aspect it, of unity. Uh, that's yeah. going back to our common humanity. Yeah. If you if you look at planet Earth, we're all on this yeah. planet together. So we have something that we share. At the very least, we're all humans, you know? Mm-hmm. And I need to breathe and I need to eat and I need to, you know, have community and we all do and so you know again there are people that are deeply uh, broken you know for for experiences they've gone through or circumstances you know or mentally challenged where they don't have the resources and the tools to do that and sometimes in society we have to tell those people you have to live in a prison because you don't seem to be able to treat people very nicely when you're living among free people so we have to restrict your freedom because you are a violent person you know so we do go to that extreme we do say you know this conversation can't continue you're going to jail mm-hmm. or yeah. uh you know sometimes uh, in an abusive marriage you may, may have people that really believe in marriage and don't want to get divorced but if somebody in that marriage is abusing the person and violating those marital vows, at some point, it, it, you know, even biblically speaking, you have to say, well, this can't continue. You know, we can't stay in a place of danger and we can't stay in a place of abuse, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think when, when truth, when, you know, and it's not, I, I've, done, I've done some talking on this. It's not that my, true is, my truth is true and your truth is true. Um, I think it's okay to say, I believe that my truth is right and that your truth is incorrect, that you're not right. And I approach that honestly. Uh, this is a great story between Bob Millett and I. We, uh, uh, we had been friends for a few years between 1997 and 2000, and we were kind of, we had really discussed so many of the big theological issues between Latter-day Saint theology and evangelical Protestant biblical theology. And, and at one point I said, Bob, you know, I'm game to keep going and having lunch with you once a month for as long as I can manage to do that. Um, but do you feel like there's a limit on what we can do and, and, and have a conversation? He said, well, Greg, what I like about this is that I always walk away from our experiences, our lunches, with kind of something to think about, mm-hmm. something to reflect on. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, having a, a monthly visit with you makes me a better person and mm-hmm. vice versa. But he said, um, I do know that we need to be honest you know, I would love to rebaptize you in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Saints and, and make you one of us again. Mm-hmm. But I also know that you would be just as happy to see me walk away from my faith and embrace a biblical evangelical Christianity mm-hmm. and you for you to baptize me. Yeah. So I don't we don't have to deny that. We don't have to act like, uh, I hope he doesn't figure out that I really want to convert him. I hope he doesn't find out that I, I believe I'm right and he's wrong. Mm-hmm. No. We're open about that clearly. But mm-hmm. that we do it in such a way that he never feels that I'm going to walk away from him because he doesn't do what I think he yeah. has to do or vice versa, but that we go the distance. We keep walking together. We keep walking together. So we said, hey, you have an agenda for me, Greg. I get it. I have an agenda for you. You get it. So let's set that aside. I said this earlier. And let's defer to God. And we can both say as God-fearing people, hey, God, if I need to do some moving, move me. You know, if Greg needs to do some moving or vice versa, Bob, then move them. And since we both think that we love God and and we have a very different understanding of who God is, and we believe we're right and the other one's wrong, we're going to just say to you, God, whoever is true, you, you know, you inform us, you enlighten us, you give us insight, work work in this relationship. And you know, it's, it's interesting, one of the things that Bob has said many times, he goes, you know, I've gotten 
way beyond that. I mean, if Greg came to me and said, can I be, you know, I want to be baptized, I'd be happy to do it. But I actually think Greg serves a purpose for the LDS church in his life that is very significant. And I think, who knows, maybe Heavenly Father, this is Bob Millett speaking, Heavenly Father has him outside of our church to teach us lessons. And and I think that we should probably be okay with that, that he's trying to, you know, he helps me and helps us to think about some things that we wouldn't think about otherwise, vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I think a person like Bob Millett has uh, some things to think about and say that can be very helpful to the evangelical person as well. So again, there's a richness, there's a maturity, there's a wholeness that is is developed when we teach our kids to not be dismissive or, or you know, disregard people because they're a certain color or they're from a certain economic class or they have a certain uh, gender tendency or, you know, whatever the things are when we start making fun of and insulting and labeling and mocking and laughing at, those are the things that lead to the division and to the hate and to the hurt and I think to the cancer in our society. And that's way too prevalent. I mean, we've got, we we know where Fox News is at on stuff. We know where CNN and MSNBC is at. And we go to that place where we feel more comfortable, where where those commentators are saying the stuff that uh, the other side is terrible, yada, yada, yada. So I think sometimes we have to, you know, fight, fight the urge to, camp in one place only and every once in a while watch fox news if you're a cnn person every once in a while watch cnn if you're a fox person because at least we can say hey you know i I, if this guy were my neighbor and he was a nice person and i didn't know he was on cnn i might like the guy and why why can't i give myself the permission to do that and it also helps you to understand where other people are coming from who may have different views i think so Yeah. yeah well you know what's interesting i mean if you've ever done international travel and you know, I've done a, a bit. You know, it's so funny. You can be in Europe, you can be in Africa, you can be in India, and you see, like particularly like India, when you see another American, they stand out, you know, because India is a very, very predominant culture in, in India. So you see somebody and you go, are you American or are you European? And, and you find out, yeah, I'm an American. Well, where are you from? I'm from uh, Wisconsin. Oh, really? I'm from California or I'm from Utah or whatever. And you have this affinity based on one thing, that we're members of the same country. We're, we come from the same home country. And I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you believe in. I don't know what you your political party is. I don't know what your value systems is. But for that moment, we smile, we we shake each other's hands, we say hello, or we get a little story from each other, and we walk away feeling, ah, oh, a fellow American. It was so nice to see a fellow American. Or I'm sure other you know other people from other countries would say the same, you know, mm-hmm. to run into somebody from their home country. And you think, isn't that interesting that I can feel so positive about somebody that I don't know anything about mm-hmm. and that if I had actually had a half hour conversation I might go oh geez this is not a person <laughs> I want to be with you know but but we do have to start with the very basics mm-hmm. you know what um, uh, an old seminary professor of mine said you know in our constitution we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable um, we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights I'm sorry there you go history there's my civil civ training or my <laughs> civ class uh anyways so we're we're endowed by a credit with certain inalienable rights well the right of liberty life and the pursuit of happiness which is kind of in, built into our constitution that kind of thinking allows us to come to a place of saying hey as a fellow human being they have a right to life they have a right to liberty they have a right to, to pursue happiness um and so that that goes to everybody to someone who you know is a white supremacist. They have a right to life, liberty, and happiness under our Constitution. I have a right 
to that those values as well, even though I'm diametrically opposed to that white nationalist position. Um, and I want to see a, a world where people of all colors and all uh, ethnicities are one in equality and justice before the law and, and walk in harmony with one another. That's my picture of a more beautiful world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to treat the person, even the person I'm most diametrically opposed from, with those same courtesies, if I'm really going to say that I'm a man of tolerance and respect, I don't believe those things. I don't embrace those things. I don't. I don't soften to those things. But I will have a conversation with you. I love that, and I think sometimes, especially as people who believe in the Bible, we think of um, the you know, love God with all of your heart, but we forget love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so I think that's a really important aspect. And I just really appreciate this conversation yeah. and everything you've contributed to it. And I really. Pre- Thank you so much for being on this episode. Sure, sure. I do have one more question that I ask everybody on the podcast, and that is, what does unity mean to you? Yep, that's a great question, and you did tell me that. Um, You know, um, I I have a little uh, illustration of unity that I often share, and so I say, you know, Christians, I I say this, but I, I think you can say it more broadly, Christians are like snowflakes, you know? We're very frail on our own, but when we stick together, we can stop traffic. And unity is the power of the one coming together with the many to do something that can only be done with that multiple effort. You know, we can't do it alone, but together we can do more than we could ever have imagined doing on our own. So I do think unity is that is that sense of being frail and inconsequential maybe on our own but when we come together with other like-minded people we can turn the tide we can stop the hate we can stop the violence we can stop the the rhetoric we can change the tone uh, we can serve our fellow human beings we can um, uh, you know we can invest into third world countries and help them have better lives and better circumstances we can uh, deal with crises that come up whether they're natural or 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 physical we we can stand up against evil so unity is the power of the one multiplied with many that can do things that only the many can do together so it's a, it's that that power to stop traffic no single snowflake could stop anything but you put a million snowflakes together they can close down a city you mm-hmm. know and that's the power of unity yeah I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Greg, again for being on. I appreciate it. Great to be on with you. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it on whatever platform you're listening to. Remember that it's okay to disagree. Unity comes when we can agree to disagree while still maintaining a love for one another. For more on unity, follow us on Instagram at finding.unity or on Twitter at finding underscore unity.